more than any other time in the past, we need to connect ourselves and children with nature and the environment. My name is Kevin O'Shea, and I'm an environmental educator who wants to connect all of you with a bit of inspiration. In each episode of the Nature Talks podcast, I'll talk to incredible educators, scientists, thinkers, and innovators who are connecting those around them to nature and the outdoors and inspiring new generations of environmental stewards. Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome to episode number 19 of the Nature Talks podcast, the environmental education podcast, a podcast about all things, um, caring for the world, making it a better place and doing the best we can to make all those things happen. Uh, It's me, Kevin O'Shea, your host. I'm a Canadian uh, international school teacher currently living in Shenzhen, China, but um, in a few months I'll be off to Japan, then Canada, and then my family and I will be settling into a new home in Malaysia. Very excited about that. Uh, This week, uh, this episode, I should say, because really this podcast, uh, I'm really, my goal is to really just get it out a, a couple of times a month and that just has to do with my my life schedule. Uh, maybe in the future it will come out more often, but I have other projects I'm often busy with. So if I can get this out a couple of times a month, I'm happy and I know you guys are going to be happy to get this content. Um, in this episode, I will be talking to returning guest, Kenny PV. Kenny was featured in episode number 11 of the podcast and Kenny is a tour de force when it comes to environmental education, uh, outdoor education, and getting the message out to the masses and using social media to get his message across. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. So sit back and take a listen to my conversation with outdoor educator from Green School Bali, Kenny Peavy. So everyone, I'm very happy to have returning with us um, for another episode of the Nature Talks podcast, Kenny Peavy. Kenny, thank you for coming back on the show. Yes, I'm really happy to be here. And of course, I always see your social media, Twitter, LinkedIn. So I'm kind of keeping up with what you're doing. I think vice versa. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, that's something we'll talk about later on in the podcast, but I can barely keep up with you. And I don't think I can. (laughs) Um, But uh, but that you're a bit of a whirlwind in a a positive way, uh, which is a great thing um, with regards to the social media. I don't know how you find the time to do it. And that's something that people used to say about me. Um, right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah so, let's, let's definitely chat about that. In a yeah, bit. absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Kenny, I was wondering for, for the people who may be listening to the show for the first time, maybe they, they haven't listened to episode 11, which you were, you were featured on. And, and for those of you that are listening after you listen to this podcast, go back and listen to episode 11 and you can learn a lot more about Kenny and what he does, but uh, kind of in a nutshell, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you are and what you do? Yes. Um, I'm originally from the States, from America. I've been overseas since the year 2000, so that's roughly 23 years. And in that time, I've worked in a couple of different schools at the International School of Kuala Lumpur. At at the time, it was called Bogor Expatriate School outside of Jakarta. I think they've changed their name to something like Intercultural School of Bogor now. And then for about 10, I'll say eight, nine years, I was doing my own sort of adventure what would you call it i guess educational travel adventure company okay throughout southeast asia and we were mostly doing service projects adventure cultural immersion and ecology so you know basically up in chiang mai mostly outside of bangkok and some of the national forests and then throughout indonesia 
so yeah, I've been here. I'm currently at the Green School in Bali, and I've been here for this is my third year, and I'm really happy to be back on the show. So awesome, happy to chat with you. Cool stuff. And in episode eleven, you 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 took a little bit of a deeper dive into talking to us about Green School Bali and what you do there and the things you like about it. So for all you folks who are um, you know, a lot of people are always very fascinated with Green School Bali. Um, if you go back, again, I keep throwing this out, listen, listen to episode 11 and you can find out more about what, what Kenny does there. And we'll touch upon that for sure. Um, but, you know, as, as I'm kind of restarting the podcast after a hiatus, um, I definitely I want to get you back on because I think um, when I, I talk about often that I'm a big proponent, big utilizer of social media when it comes to education and doing what I do. Um, for professional reasons and for fun, um, you are someone that I am constantly seeing pop up no matter where I go on social media. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I see you on LinkedIn. I see you on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter. Um, were you always a big social media person or is this something that you've recently, um, uh, you know, platforms you've recently started to utilize? It's pretty new. In fact, anyone that knows me, uh, I was reluctant to even get a smartphone in the beginning. I resisted okay. up until the very end. I had my black and white Nokia brick phone okay. up until I think maybe 2014 or 2015. So I'm definitely new to social media. Um, but I recently just gotten really excited and inspired. Some of my things that I posted for whatever reason caught on and people liked it and started sharing it. And so I found some success. So I just wanted to keep rolling that and it's keep inspiring people to get outdoors. Um, so yeah, I definitely don't have much training in like how to utilize social media. I kind of look at the analytics once in a while and I'm like, yeah, I should probably publish it at this time or these dates, but I don't really know. And I get too excited. I'm like, I can't wait. I'm going to publish it now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I know like real social media influencers and marketing people, they know what time and date and all that sort of, they look at the analytics yeah. and they're like, Oh, it's the best to publish on Tuesday morning at 8am. Yeah. I yeah. know that I've seen that too. I know, yeah. that, I know that exists, but I get too excited. I'm like, ah, I just made this cool video. I'm going to publish it now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which may, it may not be the best way, but yeah, definitely not. Uh, it's, it's pretty new for me to be honest. Cool. Cool. Well, I mean, it's new for you, but again, I'm seeing you all over the place and that's that in, in a very positive way. And that's interesting when you talk about the analytics. I know people who are very, very much so analytic nerds and they, uh, that's a big thing. And when you mentioned Tuesday morning at 8am, I mean, I, I, like, I've done the research into podcasts. When's the best time to release a podcast? But I mean, like I'm here in China at Tuesday at 8am, I'm teaching. Um, yeah, yeah, I can, I can send <clears throat> tweets on tweet deck to be timed and go out, but a podcast with China internet who knows how that's going to work and when that's going to come out. Yeah. Um, so I get it when I can, but also during the days I'm up to my eyeballs and 23 kindergarten students. Um, the yep. last yep. thing I'm thinking about is like, when am I going to get that Instagram photo out or my tweet out? Um, that's all for right. after work. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, you've, you've got a message that you definitely have, have been passionate about for years. Um, and um, you're, you're new to the social media thing. But again, I'm seeing you in, in many spaces. What, what has the – you've already kind of hinted at that. But what kind of response have you been getting in general that's keeping you going? Well, it's really cool when you see a post go viral. You know, we all kind of like that. And it's really nice. You know, when I started out, you might get 10 likes or, you know, two or three shares. And then 
suddenly you hit a nerve and people love it. And you're like, holy cow, this one of my, I think probably the most viral post was about my nature spotters. And suddenly I'm like, it's got 58,000 impressions and it's been wow. shared 112 times and like 200 likes. And then suddenly you're like, oh, well, people like that one. Yeah. And maybe I can keep doing this and keep, you know, sharing ideas and hopefully uh, inspiring people to get outside. Cause that, that really is my goal. Just go outside and play. And then yeah. after that, you know, start researching, looking, discovering all, all the things that are out there in nature. Um, and I will say, and this is interesting and it's a recent thing, but I just posted, uh, Anti-plastics, you know, the plastics in the yeah. garbage in the ocean and in the uh, mangroves, and especially throughout Southeast Asia. It's just a big problem in Indonesia and Malaysia, Thailand. And it kind of is reverse, but I got attacked by a lot of pro-plastic industrial people, business wow. people that were saying, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. And that kind of inspired me because I was like, well, I struck a nerve there too. Even yeah, it was pretty pretty negative. Um, you know, it's like, well, at least I'm generating some conversation and some awareness, and the people that are with me that do believe and have seen with their own eyes the impacts of plastic bags on the beaches in Bali and the mangroves in Thailand and everything. I'm like, okay, well, I, I touched a nerve, but yeah. maybe not in a positive way. Maybe some people got angry, especially those in the petroleum industry and the plastics industry. So that was recent, and that's why it's on my mind. Yeah. Suddenly you're like being attacked by people you don't know, which is not a good feeling. But then I had to reverse it and think, well, this is actually a good thing. Um, I'm raising awareness. I'm starting a dialogue. Absolutely. (laughs) I I think so too. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, controversy is what brings eyeballs to things, right? Controversy is what gets people talking. Um, When we talk about um, taking action, for example, we have those people who may be more of a kind of a grassroots thing where they're, maybe they're lobbying politicians, they're doing, um, they're, they're growing, they're going around and and collecting names on things. You've got people who go and do garbage pickups. And then you have people who do more intense protesting. And those intense protesters, sometimes I might not always agree with the way some people do things, but at the end of the day, they generate conversations. They bring, they bring a lens to things. And there's a conversation maybe amongst people who never would have had that conversation. Um, Exactly. So controversy can be good for sure. And it's, and and sometimes when you look at it through that lens, it can be kind of fun to be involved in it. Yeah. So (laughs) I think those are the two main things. Like when you get the positive response and something goes viral, but then when you touch a nerve and someone is kind of arguing back, um, then you start a little controversy. So I think those two things are healthy at the end of the day. Yeah, 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 for sure. Cool. You know, you know, I want to one thing before we start recording, and I want to kind of zip back a little bit. So, I mean, you know, in the in the uh, episode eleven, um, you were on talking a lot about outdoor education and just you know your passions with connecting kids with the outdoors. Um, one thing that um, I can remember looking at your social media a few months back. Um, but I want to kind of backtrack to that is that you did a presentation to your colleagues about um, something that I've often found a lack of clarity with. So you did a presentation, I believe, about outdoor education versus educating outdoors, which I found is uh, fascinating to let people know about because a lot of people say to me, and I, we talked about this, hey, Kevin, you're an outdoor educator. You should do this or that. And, and I realize I have to clarify to them, outdoor education is different than what I do. I'm an environmental educator. I'm not qualified to take people on a kayaking trip or an outdoor adventure excursion. 
bad things would probably happen. Just um, I can do it myself, but um, leading people. So can you let the people know um, just out there listening, maybe a little bit about how you've been educating those around you about those differences? Yes. And that is an, actually an awesome question that I never really pondered too much until I can't remember who, but someone brought it to my attention and they were like, you know, a lot of um, classroom teachers are afraid to take their kids outdoors because they feel like they don't have the skills and knowledge. And I was of the opinion, well, they can. They can just teach their classroom lessons outside. And so we talked about it a bit more, and it was like making that distinction between outdoor education, which is its own respectable field in itself. And you have to be certified and qualified and, you know, a wilderness first responder. You have to have knowledge of ropes. Risk and safety has to be a big thing, but then you have to know how to, you know, paddle in upright kayaks and canoes. You have to know how to climb and bouldering and set anchors. And while I have some of those skills, just because I grew up outdoors, I don't have all of them. I, I'm not a climber. I have no idea how to do ropes and harnesses and set anchors. So that's why I always defer to the pros, the experts. And so, you know, the distinction I made was like, Outdoor education is a specialized field, and you have to have certifications and training in that. But education outdoors is something that I think anyone can do, a parent, a homeschooler, a classroom teacher, you know, a scout leader, whatever you want to take outside, whatever lesson you want to teach, you can do it outside. And, you know, just a couple of examples that I've been involved with, like in the primary school that I used to work at, uh, or I, I actually worked in the high school, but we took the primary school kids outside to read Where the Wild Things Are, which is a popular kids book. Yeah. And they dressed up as their favorite character. And we had a wild rumpus, I believe it was called. Yeah, yeah that that's book. a party. Yeah, Outdoors. the wild rumpus. Yeah. Um, you know, that was just, they could have sat in the classroom and read the book, but we were like, well, let's kind of reenact the wild rumpus and read the book outside and the kids dress up. So that was just one kind of fun example, but I always gravitate towards, of course, you know, science and math because that's that's my training, and just teaching any sort of science lesson outside, math lessons. Like the other day in my in the middle school at Green School, we were doing the slope of a staircase. So you know, we went around and measured slopes, and instead of just doing only in the classroom, we did some uh, outdoor activities, and then. Another math one that we're going to do soon, which I think is popular, is just taking the kids outside and making water bottle rockets. And when we're doing geometry, we're going to take mm. about talk about launching and angles and collecting data on how many pumps it takes and how much water. So, you know, that's incorporating a whole lot of cool skills. Building, you know, manipulating, making your own water bottle. And I'm not the only one to think of this, but I think I, I might be highlighting it more and trying to get more classroom teachers feeling comfortable and confident taking their kids outdoors and feeling like they don't have to be an outdoor educator to do that. So whatever lesson they're going to do, whether it's art or, you know, humanities or literature, math, science, dance, music, just take your kids outdoors and do it. it you know, it would work in most cases. Nice. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Like you said, um, <clears throat> a lot of people have that kind of hesitation about 
taking kids outside because they think, well, you're, you know, oh, Kenny, you're the outdoor expert. It's easy for you to say you do all these things. But, um, you know, when you take the kids out to to re- read where the wild things are, they're not climbing. Um, they're not bouldering. They're, they're not in kayaks. Yeah. They're just out in the schoolyard where they normally would play during unstructured right. time where they have fun. Um, so it's it's sometimes bringing a bit of that structured inside the room outside. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we talked in the you know, the last episode, episode 11, we kind of talked about ways to kind of inspire teachers to get outside. I wanted to kind of branch off a little bit to talk about SDGs um, right. and, and just kind of more broadly sustainability. That's one thing I want to do with the the next series of episodes I'm putting out. Um, I'm, I want to bring on guests who, of course, have the environmental education passion, have the outdoor education passion, but I want to talk to educators and people who are doing things that our kind of broader sustainability kind of practices, because maybe not everyone, maybe that's not their passion. Maybe the passion isn't the outdoors, but for example, um, in the last episode of the podcast, I interviewed a fantastic teacher whose passion is about um, fashion and clothing. And she created an incredible kind of clothing recycling program at our school that is basically, um, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's really fascinating. She basically has staff, all those clothes that new, um, I should say gently used clothing that people would normally throw away. They're now bringing right. to our school. And we have basically this massive space in our classroom. And I should say in our school that that almost kind of looks like a little mini department store where people can come and take things for free. And it's like a, right. a like a giant free clothing swap. Um, but so when it when it comes to kind of broader sustainability things, um, I don't know what what is some kind of advice you might give to teachers about like kind of leading by example to students. Yeah. Well, uh, the formula that I have that I've used before is you know choose something you love to do, kind of like your hobby. And then one of the SDGs or a, you know, a social issue or a topic that you're passionate about and combine those and then you'll have a successful project. And the reason I say that, it's got to be something you love to do. Um, mm. and, and when we do this, I, I've done it as a workshop for students, like a global citizen type workshop. Okay. I'm like, what do you like to do? Play basketball, ride bicycles, cook, sewing, play games, cards, whatever. Okay, what do you care about? You know, poverty, orphanages, nature, rivers. Okay, now take one of those things you love to do and be a, find a really creative way to combine it for a cause that you care about. So, you know, and it might sound silly, but these are what we generate during our brainstorming sessions, like shooting basketball hoops for, an, for a cause, for an orphanage. You know, and then you start brainstorming. How can you do that? Well, we can get people to come to the gym. They can pay a dollar. They can shoot three hoops. We get some people to donate some prizes okay, now we have some money, we can do something with that money for the orphanage. You know, and that's yeah. what we talk about with the students. Um, one of the ones that we actually do here at Green School is every Wednesday they have a, a bunch of parents that come in and the kids work with them and they cook and then they go around and distribute that food. So that's, oh, really? you know, hitting a couple of the, SDGs for poverty and no hunger and that sort of thing. But it combines the skills with a lot of our students love to cook. And it's a life skill that I think is really important. And then, okay, it's a, it's a community. It's a camaraderie. You know, and they're doing it with the parents. They package up. They put it in banana leaves. And you know, then they go around and the parents take it to different villages and every week. So you know, combining cooking for no poverty, zero hunger – 
something like that. A couple of things that I've done, and you, you, you hit on it yourself, and I do believe uh, you know it's fun. So that's why I do it. It's a little bit of a, a selfish thing just because I love doing it. But being an example, so a couple that I've done myself is I've ridden a bamboo bicycle, you know, from Thailand to Bali. And that was to raise awareness for sustainability, for conservation, but also to see if you could really have a bamboo bicycle that could do that. I think it's yeah. 1,600 kilometer trek. Wow. And so, you know, it, it was fun. Like, yeah, it wasn't like work. It was a good expedition. Me and my friend did it for six weeks and we made, you know, videos to show it to students and um, inspire other people to be aware of the local villages and the conservation efforts they're doing. One of the most successful I've personally been involved in is I love to sing and play guitar. So we used to have student bands and we called it Rockin' for the Environment. And every year we would basically have like a battle of the bands. We would charge admission and then we'd raise money and donate it to an NGO that was working for endangered species or conservation. So, you know, combining with something you love, riding bicycles, cooking food, playing music, and just finding creative ways to do it. That program was pretty successful and it was fun. We started really small with like a teacher band and a kid band, but by the end, we were playing in public places in Kuala Lumpur with like famous pop stars that oh, would wow. join in. And, you know, we started off raising $500 or a thousand dollars, but by the end we were raising 10,000, $15,000, oh, wow. you know, and it was cool. And then I would know the NGOs personally. And I think that's key. Mm. And I would say, this is money for you to be used, you know, for your endangered species, whatever that is, an educational project, an outreach project, a, a uh, habitat restoration project and i thought those were number one really fun really successful but also effective because you know mm. the people involved you know you work directly with the ngos you're not just uh donating it to anonymous you know source that you don't know yeah, where the yeah. money's gonna go yeah wow. so i think those are really good ways you know just to have some fun which I think is the most important part, make it a fun thing, but then address some sort of social issue, environmental issue, global issue, SDGs. Yeah, that I mean, that's, you know, right. There's so many things going through my brain right now. And I think um, I, I love that taking that thing that you're passionate about, looking at all those SDGs and making a connection, which we can all do. Right. Um, right. And I, I think, and I'm hoping that for educators who are based in China right now, listening to this, um, take, take these lessons and think about it. And, and I think we, a lot of us here in China need to start to open our minds now because for three years, we were basically locked into a cocoon here in China where we were because of China's zero COVID policy, where we didn't have the freedom to do anything. We couldn't, right. we, we, we couldn't have a group of kids gather to shoot basketballs because we weren't allowed to have kids gather. We weren't allowed to have a concert to raise money because we couldn't have people gather, but now that's done with thankfully, and things are opening up. And I think that um, this is a conversation I've had with other educators that 
restrictions have dropped and we're, we can now kind of move on to regular life, but we're always kind of looking over our shoulder thinking we're about to get in trouble for living a regular life because we were so kind of, again, cocooned. Um, but now right. I think people here in China, educators, students finally will have a chance to, to take action because we really were limited with action that we could take for a long time with local community because no one was allowed to do anything. Right. Um, but that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Definitely. And then, and one of the things that I think is key and consider this also, because I know there's like every place, there's definitely issues that can be addressed locally in China. Yeah. And what I think is you need to experience it yourself as a student or a teacher. So I, it's okay if you, I'm never going to turn down if someone just gives me $5 and says, here's a cause. But what's more effective is if I can take that person and show them where that $5 is going to go, if they can meet mm. the orphans, if they can see the dirty river, if they can yeah. experience it themselves, then they're more likely to have a passion for it. And I think that's a logistically more difficult. It's often skipped. But, you know, if you know the village that you're working with or if you know the river that you're cleaning up or if you, you know, have paddled the mangrove or the, you know, intertidal zone or whatever the project is going to be the experience of that place or the people i think is key otherwise you're just kind of throwing money at it and that's not you know that's not the solution in my opinion yeah well i think the passions grow deeper when you're connected to it right when you can actually really get in there and and experience it yourself which is i mean um Again, I I feel too like I've been kind of cocooned, and I'm kind of looking forward to breaking out of that cocoon. <laughs> um, right. I don't. I, I definitely am not a butterfly, but um, right. <laughs> but but right, yeah, yeah. Right. No, I'm I'm looking forward to, you know. Um, again, it's 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 just, and it's even opening up more and more as as we go. But it it still feels weird for us here in China. Always, again, we talk about always kind of looking over our shoulder. But it, it's right. going to be great as. Because we haven't had field trips in years either. That's something that right. – so I don't know if, if you saw on my social media just I posted the other week. But um, we were finally able to – me and another teacher take a group of middle school kids out to uh, a beekeeper on a mountainside wow. here and, and, and start connecting them. Um, uh, the, there was another teacher at our school who was passionate about bees. And unfortunately, I, I, I was li- re-listening to our episode, episode 11. And I, yeah. I had been talking about when I interviewed you last summer at the beginning of the summer, how, oh, I've adopted six beehives and stuff. Well, what ended up <laughs> happening was I had surgery, stomach surgery in the summer. So I couldn't take care of the bees. And uh, where, we, where we were keeping them got so hot that five hives absconded and left. So when I finally could get up and check, I had uh, five empty hive boxes and one. Um, right. And so what we've decided to do is we've partnered with an actual professional beekeeper who has lots of hives, who has way deeper knowledge than someone like right. me, who is a, new, a newbie. And uh, right. we finally, we can, we can throw the, a bunch of, of middle schoolers onto a bus on a, on a Tuesday afternoon and drive into the mountain. And he's teaching them about bees and that's fantastic yeah that is awesome and just you know to use that as an an example it's one thing if you teach in the classroom and you say okay we're gonna learn about bees and why they're endangered and why they're important for pollinators it's another thing to say okay we're gonna have a fundraiser for bees but the best thing is what you did and you go see the bees you experience you talk to the professionals and the other thing that i think is the best part is that it failed 
I, I really yeah. love that. Like it happened to us at green school as well. We were keeping some bees and they all just disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but that's a cool lesson to learn. And the most important follow-up part is perseverance. Well, let's try it again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That. What did we learn? We learned this. Don't keep them there for whatever reason. They didn't like that place and they left. So let's try yeah, another yeah. place. Exactly. And those are some great <laughs> lessons. I mean, and we, we were learning with those students, but we learned it where we had it was too hot in the summer. And we also right. learned that there was a lot of hornets around. And then we learned yeah. about the different behavior of Asian Apicerana honeybees versus European honeybees, where those uh, Asian honeybees are a lot more skittish. And when things get, are, are not going the way they like it, they'll just get out of there real fast. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Know, some great lessons. I wouldn't learned. know that. Exactly. And I wouldn't know that unless I did it. That's why the experience is the best part, right? Because you learned. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And kids learn that way. We grownups learn that way. Um, often the most impactful lessons are, you know, it, it, and it's, it's a bit of an analogy, I guess, comparing on a smaller scale. The other night, my, my daughter, who's almost 10, was like, hey, dad, where's, where's a hot glue gun? Can't find the hot glue gun. I'm like, all right, uh, here it is. Be, she's at home making crafts. I'm like, be careful. Don't burn yourself. She's like, oh, I'll be fine, Dad. You always say that to me. And then about 20 minutes later, she comes out. She's like, Dad, I burned myself. It hurts. I'm like, yep. <laughs> put your fingers under the cold water. And I said to my wife, you know what? That There you go. There's something she can take from. I can say, be careful. You could burn yourself all day long. Um, but until you actually experience it, then you know. <laughs> 100% agree with you. I definitely agree. And that, that's something I'm always thinking about, too. We can say that. Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. But until you touch it and learn the reason why we're saying don't touch the stove, it doesn't really have a meaning. Yeah, <laughs> so the experience I, 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 is the best part. <laughs> I believe when I was uh, a bit younger than her, I touched the stove. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, I also may have maybe poked around some electrical sockets with uh, metal yep. objects too. Um, yes. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what we did before we had iPads, right? Um <laughs> there was nothing else to do. There was no YouTube, so we poked at right. dangerous things. Um, <laughs> exactly. I see that on your LinkedIn, and uh, this will be happening, I think, um, after this this interview comes or before this interview comes out. But um, you are taking part in the Green Education Webinar Series, and I see you're going right. to be doing a presentation about um, bringing nature into the classroom. Could you tell us yes. a little bit about that? Because that's something that. People who follow me on social media know that I'm always attempting to do is right. bring nature into my classroom. So, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be talking about in that presentation? Yeah, I was just thinking about this morning. I think it's coming up. I think it's on the 16th. I'm going to have yep, to that's double what check. It said. No, it does but say February 16th. Like 11 yeah. days. Yeah. And um, just off the top of my head, I haven't actually written the outline yet, but I've given similar presentations and I put similar things on my Facebook as well. And just some of the ideas that I was thinking is, and I think maybe we talked about this before, like bringing a nature table into your classroom and having a sensory table with various things like skulls or neat pine cones or, you know, leaves or neat, cool things, flowers, things that you find in nature when you're personally out hiking, like with your family or as an adult, you're just walking around and you find a cool thing. Um, so like thinking about that, how can we bring the nature to the classroom? Thinking about... How can we start gardens or beekeeping? So two of the things that I know about is I know that some schools have like a rooftop garden or a balcony garden or even a windowsill garden. Yeah. And they learn all kinds of cool things, you know, life cycle of plants, different types of fertilizer, watering, scheduling, collecting data, like what time do you water it or how much fertilizer do you put if you're using 
organic fertilizer, or even if you're using chemical fertilizer, like what, what are you doing? Collecting data, things like that. And then if you can go to the next level, which I know some schools do, it's like eating, cooking and eating, whatever you grow. So, you know, that sort of thing I'm thinking about home gardens. I'm thinking about, um, beekeeping because you're doing it i know some schools are doing it like i mm-hmm. said we tried and they all flew away so maybe we'll try <laughs> again but um you know how can we do that sort of thing one thing i've just gotten is sort of like observation tanks i'm not going to call them aquariums because i i think i don't want to keep things long term okay but like if i catch something cool you know like i'll put it in the observation tank whether and i'll have a couple like aquatic ones and maybe some terrestrial ones and like maybe we'll catch some insects sex or we'll catch here like lizards or even from the the rice fields we'll catch crabs so let's just look at them and observe them and then put them back you know after a couple of days see how they grow um and Mm. learn so that's some of the things i'm thinking about one of the things you mentioned that i think i'm going to start expanding on is i've recently started uploading some youtube videos and they're just really short uh, and maybe in the future I'll make more of the long form ones, but right now they're all under a minute long because they're that short format, kind of yeah. like the TikTok version. But how could I incorporate that? Like my idea for that is like they should be conversation starters. So you watch one of those, you know, if you if you've seen some like about the tortoise beetle, well that's a weird, cool looking creature, and it's like a forty second clip of just a tortoise beetle that landed on my table one day, and then the teacher could see that, talk about it, generate some discussion, and then maybe do a unit on insects or a unit on beetles or maybe go around your school ground and see if you can find cool stuff. So I'm just thinking of ways that we can incorporate nearby nature if you're really lucky and you have some sort of outdoor classroom, outdoor space, if you have some sort of nature park. How can we think about all these things? Because I'm trying to think of every scenario. You know, like mm. I'm at green school and I'm really lucky. I have rice fields right out my classroom, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know any other school that has that. So yeah, trying to think yeah. of an urban school, trying to think of an inner city school, trying to think of schools in China, trying to think of schools in Thailand. And uh, actually I think I've got quite a following from Europe and North America, which is another total different uh, scenario. Yeah. So how can we do those things? And uh, part, part of it will be a brainstorm as well. Um, and see what other people are doing. Nice, nice. But well, that, that's those are the kind of things I'm thinking. Some amazing things there, and amazing ideas, and that's it's so interesting too because, like you said, like every school is so different, and the situations right. are so different. I mean, um, uh, there was an episode I did a few t- a few episodes after I interviewed you. I interviewed Taylor Murphy, who is the garden, uh, yeah, the gardening teacher at um, West Portal Elementary School in San Francisco, and what an amazing setup they have for a big city school, and and they have so much community buy in, which is even something right. that. I think is really special because not a lot of schools have that um, in Canada right. or America or anywhere. Um, and right. that, that uh, how jealous am I that she literally is what they call the gardening teacher. I mean, right. like that's, that's her position. She teaches gardening to kids and yeah. what a fantastic thing that is. And um, that school is doing really progressive things, but even like you said, you know, bringing things into the classroom um, I, I've, I've been having fantastic conversations because we were growing tomatoes in my classroom, but somehow ants found their way from outside and I'm on the second floor. These little tiny ants found their way through the, from outside through the window 
and for whatever reason, like the tomato plants, and we found lines of ants going into the tomato plants, and when we would pick up the pot, there was literally thousands of ants in the base of the pot wow. with, with brood and everything. And we eventually had to remove those. That was getting out of hand. But 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 my class's uh, teacher, me, Mr. O'Shea, I, I resorted to even collecting live geckos. And I was like bringing them into oh, wow. my, And I was like putting geckos on the plants and stuff. I'm like, we'll just see what happens, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's very cool. So Yeah, um, and you know, the lesson there is nature finds a way, right? How in the yeah. world did they find their way up there? I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. But it's a cool thing that they did, and there you go. <laughs> and the, you know, and then the kids in my room were just like, "Mr. O'Shea, there's ants everywhere." I'm like, "Isn't it great?" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In my exactly. classroom, this is okay. Um, uh, you know, other educators might scratch their heads and say, "Like, what are you doing? And why, why are you releasing geckos all <laughs> over your room?" But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, the kids. But it's great that the kids who are with me, who've been with me long enough to know, they would never try to step on that gecko or even to catch it. They just let it go. They know that it's right. it's got a job to eat ants. Um, right. But then we found a we found a dry we found a, dry, a very dry gecko under the sofa the uh-huh. other day in my classroom. The kids are like, "Mr. O'Shea, I think it's dead." I'm like, "Yes, it is." Yep, yep. What exactly. what happened? I don't know, but conversations are there to be had about nature indoors. Yeah. Um so so yeah, so you are now on I don't want to keep you much longer. It's a Sunday morning and I really appreciate you taking the time um to talk to us. Um I'm I'm curious about some updates. How I see you've got a lot of growth in your Facebook page. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yes, I, once again it was just kind of started on a whim and I didn't really have a plan, but a couple of those post took off and then I discovered I can share it with some other groups. There, there's quite a few groups out there of teachers and homeschoolers that want to, you know, learn about nature or have lesson plans. So I just started sharing and it just grew. I think soon we're going to reach 3,400 probably, wow. you know, in the next couple of days. And I just hope it keeps growing. I, you know, at some point I'm probably going to rewrite and republish my book okay. with a bunch of activities and so I was hoping to grow an audience for that. Um, but, you know, everything now is free. All, all of the stuff that I'm putting on there, whether it's inspirational quotes, um, lesson plans, activities, ideas, um, safety, you know, considerations. It's anything that a teacher or a parent or, a you know, educator would want to know if they're taking their kids outdoors. So it. it it's kind of random. I just kind of think, well, what can I talk about today? Like you said, ants. Well, that'd be a cool topic. Let me look up a few cool things about ants and what are some activities I've done with ants. And then maybe the next day it's like, ah, my, one of my recent ones was sunflowers. And I was like, oh yeah, I think most people don't realize that a sunflower is a composite flower made up of hundreds of flowers. That's a lesson. And so I think what I've, what I've really learned, and this is a good one for everyone those small things that we know and take for granted, many, many people don't know. So I'm trying to think of some of those obvious things like, you know, ants are related to wasps. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a lesson right there. And it just turns something similar into there's something simple into, you know, just cool activity that a teacher or a parent homeschooler could do. Well, I mean, you know what? That post that you shared about the uh, sunflowers being composite flowers, I had no idea. And I actually, right. I literally have sunflowers growing on my balcony right now that I've planted from cool. seeds. 
And I went outside after reading your post, and um, I took a, put a macro lens on my camera, and oh, I went and nice. I went and I went outside. I, I don't think I've shared this yet on my social media, but I'm going to give you credit for inspiring me. Oh, I went out nice. there and I, I took macro shots of my sunflowers, and I had no idea. Like I can see where the seeds are going to be, and there's like pollen right. on the end of the seeds, and I can see all those individual little tiny flowers everywhere. No idea. And I'm, I'm that's a, very cool, right? And I'm a I'm a bug gardening guy, so right. there you go. Um, we're always learning, and that was that was really cool for me. And um, as a grown up, I thought that was super neat. And I showed my wife, yeah. and she had no idea, and she's a gardener, so just well, yeah, you know, there you go. Yeah, and you know, I've also learned, and one thing I've learned is it's kind of like you. I think I know stuff, and then I realize there's a lot that I don't know. Exactly. And I post I posted a video of a spider and a. Here in Bali and throughout Southeast Asia, we have these huge golden orb spiders. Um, and the females are like 100 times bigger than the male. Yeah. So I posted a quick video on YouTube and someone wrote back and said, actually, some of those are not males. They're what we call uh, parasitic, what, kleptoparasites. Okay. And I'd never heard of that. I was like, okay. So I looked up what is a kleptoparasitic spider and lo and behold i learned something new it's basically a spider that will live in your web and steal your food you know and they're they're parasitic in the sense that they steal from you and they're kleptomaniacs because they're stealing your food and so i was like well that's a cool lesson i learned neat by me trying to teach something you know so that was yeah because really- normally when you <laughs> see normally when you see one of those orb weavers because i know like in my time in japan they had some not as big i'm sure in bali but they had orb weaver spiders that got pretty massive by the fall and you would always see these small spiders on their on their web and i assumed that those were always just males but maybe some of them weren't um, yeah exactly so that's the cool part too i get corrected once in a while and i'm like okay you know more than i do yeah so that's good <laughs> that, that's that's one of those cool things again with the social media is that I I follow on Twitter a lot of scientists a lot of entomologists and actually on um, before the hiatus of this podcast I had Dr Jody Green on who's an entomologist from Canada working at the uh, working through the University of of uh, Nebraska Lincoln and it was amazing to have her on because she's kind of a guru of mine I was really nerding out because I've been listening to her podcast for years and to have right. her on it was like oh my gosh. What are my buggy heroes? Um, right, exactly. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So, uh, where where can people find you online? And I've already mentioned everywhere, and I, I will put links in the show notes. But where can people find you? Yeah, sure. It seems the two most sort of prolific and popular are the Facebook page and the LinkedIn page. Um, mm. Those are the two, and they also have the best format for me for sharing photos and lesson plans and activities. Twitter is okay, but you can't share as much. So I, yeah. I've, I've started putting links. Like if you want to learn more, I'll click here and it takes you to my Facebook. Yeah. And then same with Instagram, it, the format I'm on there and I like to post photos, but they don't seem to have the same impact or take off as well. So I think the best places are Facebook and LinkedIn. Mm. And I, I'm really kind of excited to, to keep going with the YouTube, just making short little clips, you know, like 30 second to a minute clips. And maybe in the future, I'll think about making some longer ones. But right now, it's just like, oh, there's a cool thing. Let me take a quick video and put it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, like I said, they're meant, those are meant to like kind of start conversation in the classroom, like during the homeroom or, you know, we call it pod time. But whatever time when you have your kids for 10 or 15 minutes, just show a quick one minute video and talk about it and say, oh, that's a cool thing. That's a cool fact. Yeah. Nice. That's, you know, I have to admit, I'm just 
starting to realize the power of LinkedIn. I had no idea until really this even um, in the last year and even more so I'm still learning and learning. I had no idea so many people are on it. They'll be like, sometimes they get a thing like, would you like to join this teacher education group? There's 175,000 right. members. I'm like, really? Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, same. There's a lot of potential on LinkedIn that I was not aware that was there. Um, I agree. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just now, I'm with you. I'm just now sort of learning that. I'm excited. I think, I think um, with, for example, this podcast and some other content I hope to create with regards to environmental education, I'm really thinking LinkedIn may be the platform to really kind of launch things and make things expand. I'm, I'm hoping. Yeah. 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 I agree. Cool. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Keep posting. I think yeah. the thing is what I think is just kind of be consistent, you know, just keep posting things once or twice a week, tagging people, you know, that like it. Yeah. Hopefully they share it and that's it. Just consistency. Yeah. And just keep build, 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 build. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Kenny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your insights and ideas. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm I'm happy to be podcasting again and um, looking forward to building this network that we're growing here. And yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, everyone out there listening, go check out all of Kenny's places on social media. All the links will be in the, in the show notes here on all, all of my social media. <laughs> right. And definitely I'll be sharing. I'm your podcast with all my contacts and my network. And I really love it. Thank you very much. I always look forward to chatting with you and hopefully when you're in Malaysia, you'll be a bit closer yeah. to us in Bali. We can connect. We're, oh, we're, we're, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to being there and being able to, uh, to travel. And there's a lot of places in Southeast Asia. My, my wife and kids are excited to, uh, to visit in the future for sure. Well, I want to thank Kenny so much for coming on the nature talks podcast. He is an inspiring guy doing some incredible things, and he is all over the place on social media. Uh, go check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Follow him on Instagram. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. Join his Box People Facebook group and uh, and, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I should say. That's a, another um, you know social media place where we were talking about in this episode that we're both kind of unlocking the power of. Um, I think he's got a little bit more going on there than I do, but uh, you know he's just out there spreading the good word of outdoor education, getting kids outside and connecting them with nature. Because of course, we all know that when we have children who love outdoors, who love nature, who love wildlife, they're going to grow up to be people who love those things and people who will make a difference. And kids make a difference too. And absolutely they can. Kids are There are kids who are movers and shakers, and that's the goal for all of us to help inspire children to take action. And we want to inspire all of you teachers and educators listening to take action as well. So follow Kenny in all those places. Follow me on Twitter at Mad from April. Come on over to Instagram where I'm at Shizen Wildlife. S-H-I-Z-E-N Wildlife. All right. That link's going to be in the show notes as well. That is my kind of professional environmental education uh, Instagram. Come over to the, of course, Nature Talks podcast Facebook page and give us a follow or a like over there. And uh, just come and, come and hang out. Be part of the conversation. And, of course, please uh, take the time to rate this podcast where you listen to it. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And share it with other educators you work with, with administrators you work with. Okay? Um, you know, spread the word of environmental education. Uh, you know, think globally, act locally. That's the key. All right? We want to inspire you to 
care about the world, but also to take action. And we as educators often need to lead by example. I need to take action. You need to take action. And um, hopefully those we work with, the kids in our lives, the students, our own children, the people around us will also then be inspired to take action. All right. Well, that's it for episode number 19 of the Nature Talks podcast. My name's Kevin O'Shea. I'm an international educator uh, from Canada, living in Asia. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And I really appreciate it. So I hope you are having an awesome day wherever you are. And I will be talking to you really soon. 